2: Welcome back to the MLB.com Stackcats podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor, Matt Myers. As we mentioned the other night, we are trying to bring some fun and entertaining baseball stories in the midst of the worldwide baseball shutdown. Uh, so Matt and I are going to talk about some of our favorite games, games we've attended, the weirdest games, the first games. And then we're also going to relay some stories about our best personal baseball moments at which point, Matt's going to bring in a special guest to either confirm or verify his story, which I don't even know what his story is going to be. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, first, obviously, this is called the Stackcast Podcast. The Stackcast is brought to you by Google Cloud, but pretty clearly, we are not delving too deeply into advanced metrics at this point. We're trying to tell fun stories uh, about baseball. And thank you to those of you who listened the other night and gave us positive feedback. I do have a new fancy microphone in the mail. So next time we'll sound a little better. We appreciate that. Matt. Hello, how are you? Are you ready to talk about baseball and not think about anything else that's not baseball?
0: Uh, I am. And, um, you know, Mike teased a little bit uh, how we're going to have our uh, talk about our personal baseball moments. And, you know, I know everyone says, hey, I've got a great story from when I played in high school or when I played in Little League. And at the risk of overselling my story, my story is really the best Little League story you'll ever hear. And um, to help me tell it or to verify my memory uh, we're going to have my former little league teammates um, and uh, author uh, Teddy Wayne on the show to, to talk a little bit about um, that fateful day on the uh, uh, South Riverdale baseball field in 1990. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I cannot wait for this, um, but uh Before we get to that, let's talk about the first, we're going to go first, we're going to start with the first game we ever saw in person. And um, Mike, I'll ask you, what is the first game, the first major league game that you ever saw in person?
2: Well, I need to give a great deal of credit to my mom for this because I would not have been able to answer this question if not for the fact that about two years ago, she was cleaning out some boxes or whatever and found that she had actually saved the ticket stuff. So I was able to find it right away. I have a picture of it. I went on baseball reference. I've got the lineups and everything. My first Baseball game, June 15th, 1985. So that would have been a couple of months before my fourth birthday. Yankee Stadium uh, against the defending champion Detroit Tigers. Uh, I'm looking at the ticket stub now. Apparently my seat was $8, which tells you how long ago this game was. I do not have any particular memories of this game. I was, you know, three and a half years old. Although I do oddly have a memory of leaving my house to get in the car to go to the game because I thought it was such a big deal to drive all the way up you know, two hours north to New York with my my dad and my grandfather and my older cousin Danny. So I can't say I remember anything about the game. However, by looking at the box score, I really wish I had. There were five Hall of Famers in this game. Uh, Ricky Henderson, Dave Winfield, Phil Necro, Alan Trammell, Jack Morris. There should be six because Lou Littaker played. Get Lou in. Uh, Sparky Anderson was another Hall of Famer managing. Don Mattingly was in the midst of his MVP season that year. The lineups are fantastic if you look at the top of the Yankee lineup. Henderson, Ken Griffey, Mattingly, Winfield, Don Baylor. It's just like a peak mid-80s baseball game. Um, As I think we've joked about before, nobody knows that the Yankees actually won the most games in baseball in the 80s because of teams like this, Uh, but they did. And when I go look at the uh, box score, so the Tigers won 10-8, Darrell Evans hit a home run, and Mike Paganillo hit a home run, right? If you want to remember some guys. We're definitely doing that now. Um, there are two names in this lineup. Well, I guess they. One of them was a pinch hitter that I don't recognize, right? Like you recognize, okay, Lance Parrish, and you recognize, you know, Willie Randolph, all these guys. Here are the two names who played that day that I absolutely do not recognize. Tell me if you differ. The starting DH for the Detroit Tigers, Johnny Grubb. Anything? No, nothing. No. Uh, and then, so Chet Lemon started in center field for Detroit, and he was replaced at one point by Barbaro Garby. <laughs> no, nothing.
0: Nothing.
2: <laughs> nothing at all. Oh, and apparently the uh, the first Yankee reliever was someone named Brian Fisher, who I do not know.
0: But, Mike, you're even forgetting one actual, like, amazing name from this game, is that Willie, ha- Willie Hernandez closed it out for the Tigers, um, yes. Willie Hernandez the previous year had won MVP and AL Cy Young when the Tigers yes. won the World Series. <laughs> so <laughs> it that, tells you that, just like what a different world that was. And by the way,
2: Jack Morris got the win, uh, eight earned runs, extremely pitching to the score.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he scattered scattered ten hits, and two walks and three strikeouts <laughs> over seven and two thirds innings. <laughs> That's uh, the Jack
2: Morris story right there. <laughs> so anyway, that was my that was my first game. Three and a half years old. Um, I wish I remembered more of it because it sounds like it was a lot of fun.
0: What about you? I'm gonna. I'm a little bit of a technicality here. I don't. Rem- this is the, the game I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna mention is actually the first game I remember going to. There were definitely some games in 1985 I went to at Shea Stadium that I don't I have like a very vague recollection. I think maybe against the Expos, maybe against the Cardinals but I don't like have a real memory. So I'm going to go with the first game I have a real memory of, which I discovered something awesome about today when I went and dug into the box scores. Um, So as it turns out, the first game I ever went to was actually two games. It was a Father's Day doubleheader at Shea Stadium in 1986, June 15th, Mets versus the Pirates. And what I remember most about this game, and I think probably why it's stuck in my memory, (laughs) is my mom had gotten tickets for all of us to go for Father's Day not realizing that it was a doubleheader <laughs> and not realizing that it was what what they used to do at Shea Stadium called Banner Day. So not only was it a double header, there was like an extended break in between the two games. I remember the look on my mom's face when we got to the game and she realized that it was a doubleheader. That sort of left an indelible mark on my on my brain. And for those who don't aren't unfamiliar with the Banner Day, basically it was like this like fun thing the Mets used to do every day, every year at Chase Stadium, where in between the two games, they would they, they have a scheduled double header, and in between the two games, Fans were invited to like parade, you know, like banners, homemade banners around the, um, you know, around the warning track and show all the fans. Like it'd be like, you know, they'd be like someone would draw a picture of Dale Strawberry and be like, "You're, you know, your straw stirs our drink" or something, you know, things things like that, like like slogans for players and things like that. Um, and it was this like kitschy, like classic, very Metzian thing. I'm not exactly sure when it ended. They actually brought it back. According to our crack researcher, Sarah Langs, they brought it back for one year in like 2015 or 2013. My guess is that um, vetting the, uh, the banners <laughs> is probably more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> and that was probably reason <laughs> enough um, to stop doing it. But anyway, when I was going through the, the box scores, uh, box scores um, today, what I realized that in game one, the, f- the first batter of the game was Barry Bonds. Wow. This is the first game I ever remember going to arguably the greatest player in baseball in their history was the leadoff hitter. Um, the Mets, of course, won. They were, I mean, the Mets were like a juggernaut that year, obviously. They won game one, four to one, um, and up behind a complete game from Bob Ojeda. Bob Ojeda, um, nine innings, nine hits allowed, uh, but one run, uh, five strikeouts. And then in game two, my favorite thing about the box form game two is that um, the Pirates started a lefty, uh, Bob Kipper, and I guess the Mets decided to go with their ready lineup. So Gary Carter had caught Game One, and they moved him to first base for Game Two, which I think is kind of cool. And he homered off Bob Kipper. That's um, that's that's pretty hardcore, if you ask me. Um, the Mets won that game as well, and um, yeah, you know that was the. I mean, I was I was insisted on staying for both games. I was about as hooked as a six year old could be on a team. And you know, from very early on in that year, it was very clear the Mets were going to be awesome. And so, like, I was. I was all in.
2: I, I actually have a banner day story to pass along. Do tell. Uh, from my dad. So my dad, yeah, as so my dad, you know, grew up a Mets fan in, in Northern New Jersey. And I remembered a couple of years ago, he told me he had marched in banners day. So I reached out to him this morning, knowing we were going to talk about this to try to get the details. And the context you need to know here is that for one year in 1967, Bing Devine was the Mets general manager. He was, Uh, much better known for his time before and after with the Cardinals, but he was the Mets GM for one single year in 1967. My dad, uh, who would have been, I guess, just turned 14 at the time, marched, and this is actually a really great banner because it turned out to be true like seven years later, and the banner read, a divine dream, play on words there, Willie Mays traded to Mets right? Because that's all they wanted. Him and his older brother, I think John, were there. Uh, they just wanted William Mays to get traded to the Mets, which in 1967 would have been great uh, when he eventually landed there in 72 or 73 or whatever. I mean, maybe less great, uh, but I, I think that's hilarious. So I went and looked up the box score. Uh, August 28th, 1967. These are still the very bad Mets. They had lost eight games in a row entering that day. Uh, they played the Cardinals and uh, Steve Carlton started for the Cardinals. You know, Lou Barak was in that game. Roger Maris, Tim McCarver for the Cardinals. Uh, the Mets had, you know, a fewer guys that you'd recognize them, do you think? Because this is a really lousy team. Like Ed Crane Pruill was there, you know, Bud Harrelson, Cleon Jones, some of the 69 heroes. Uh, and then also definitely some guys no one's ever heard of. But I appreciate that I had something to contribute. Uh, as someone who is not a Mets fan about Banner Day. So look at that. I've already uh, name dropped both of my parents in the first 10 minutes. I really hope they listen to this one. <laughs> um, uh,
0: yeah. Well, speaking of parents, I already told, like, I prepped my, my dad was the coach of my, uh, inf- for my, for, was a coach of my team for the infamous little league story. So I already prepped him. I was like, you're going to have to listen. I was like, I got, I got our second baseman coming out to talk about it so i've nothing else we'll have an audience of three for this episode (laughs) (laughs) um i so we also wanted to talk about the best game that we saw in
2: person and I think you had a really easy answer for this. Mine, mine was kind of hard. I had a couple to think about. Um, but you pretty clearly came up immediately with this Expos Mets game. You just want to jump right into
0: that? Oh yeah, this is like this is like with no question the the like the first game that comes to my mind when I think of the best game I ever saw in person for a variety of reasons. It was September thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Um, for the first time in a few years, the Mets were kind of hanging around the race. Um, they were starting you know the, like the first wave of the of some of the players that would be around for when they you know were a playoff team in um uh like 99 2000 were there Edgardo alfonso my all-time you know my all-time favorite player john Olerud, um was on the team so you start to see some of the players that were going to be around uh for for the successful years and they're hanging around the race and my friend and i got tickets i can't remember who it was like a friend of a friend um they were like first or second row down the third baseline right by the tarp. Um, so they were like basically the best seats I'd ever had. Um, but the Mets were getting walloped. They were down 6-0 entering the ninth. Dustin Hermanson was pitching for the Expos. He took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. Um, and basically the Expos were trying to get him um, a complete game. Uh, so the Mets were up 6-0. They they put together a couple of singles. Um, they actually get two run a two-run single from Roberto Petaghini, uh who is a name for like – Early like baseball prospectus, like Rob Nyer readers, he was kind of like one of these like cause celebres. Like, oh, this guy, he rakes in the minors, like, he needs a chance. They're just not giving me a chance because he doesn't have tools. Like, he had crazy AAA stats, never got a chance in the majors. And then he went to Japan. If you go to his baseball reference page, his, his Japan stats are just like insane. In 1999 for, uh, for Yakult yeah, cool Swallows, he hit 325, 469, 677 <laughs> with 44 homers. <laughs> Um, and uh, he basically had four straight years, essentially, of that in Japan. But he never got a, a chance in the in the majors. He only had like a couple hundred at bats. But that day, he got two RBI single. And then they finally take Hermanson out. They bring in some other reliever. He gives up a couple more base runners. They bring in Ugi Urbina, the legendary Ugi Urbina. Carl Everett comes out. Comes up, yes, the legendary Carl Everett. Um, Mets are down six two, bases loaded. He hits it, like this crazy blast down the right field line the place goes berserk off the bat they think it's a tie game the ball goes foul um everyone <laughs> is heartbroken and then like two pitches later he hits one over the fence in right center field and it's like the loudest i i'd ever heard chase stadium the place was like literally shaking which Shay, which Shay would would do sometimes and like I, a few years ago i actually it was one of the games I remembered, and I actually the highlights didn't exist. So I asked, and this is one of the perks of working at MLB.com, is I asked one of our people, one of our folks in multimedia. I was like, "Hey, here's the box score of this game. It was awesome. Can you pull some highlights from it?" And they went back and they found it, and I, like it was so heartening that it lived up to my memory. Like you watch the video of the home run, and you can see the camera shaking because it was so loud. Um, they uh, they tied the game six six, and then a couple of things later. In the 11th, Bernard guilty Gilkey hit a uh, three-run homer into the second deck, and the Mets won. And they stayed in the race until the final week of the season, ended up finishing four games behind the Marlins for the wild card spot. The Marlins obviously won the World Series that season, but it was um, left an indelible mark um, in uh, in my brain. I've been doing you know more like famous games, of course, um, but that's the one that like in my head is always like the answer of like the best game I've ever been to.
2: Well, I think you. It- just blew me up because I'm about to name uh, an incredibly famous game here for my best game I ever saw. You know, so I, I thought about game two of the 2017 world series Dodgers Astros in, in Dodgers seating that went extra innings. Um, I thought about this the one time I went and saw a game at the, at the kingdom in 1995, which I remember because uh, the, the Royals got off to a, they, the Royals put up a seven run first inning um, and then held on to win 10, nine, in a game that featured Alex Rodriguez hitting ninth, which, which you know at that point he's twenty or nineteen or twenty or whatever, like that should be uh, illegal. But even though I guess this is sort of just going with the chalk, I was at Game Seven of the 2016 World Series uh, when the Cubs won the World Series in ten innings. You know the the famous uh, you know the, the Dexter Fowler leads off the game with a home run, and then you have Rajay Davis going deep off of Errolis Chapman later. And uh, you know the, the Cubs winning in ten and celebrating and everything. That's I'm not a Cubs fan. I don't care about the Cubs in any way. But a just as a baseball observer, being there to see the Cubs win the World Series is extremely cool. And b there's an amazing game. I mean, I think people forget that you know if you go to the uh, the bottom of the eighth inning. Let me just look this up to me to make sure I got this right. Yeah. So uh, Brandon Geyer doubles off Chapman. Rajay Davis. It's a home run off of Chapman. That ties the game, right? And then it's tied in the top of the ninth. It's tied in the bottom of the ninth. And then the, the Cubs go up on a, a Zobris double and a Montero single off of Brian Shaw. And then people forget. So it goes to the bottom of the 10th. The Indians are down too. Rajay Davis actually drew in Brandon Geyer again. He pulled it within one. And I, I don't know how much money you could make on bar bets if you were to ask people the final pitcher-hitter matchup of Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. Now, I think Cubs I fans, Cubs I think fans I know. may know Mike Montgomery, right? Like, that's reasonable. You would never... Maybe you do know, right? We work in baseball, so maybe we're just weirdos. You actually remember the final hitter for the Cleveland Indians? Uh,
0: Michael Martinez.
2: Good God, man. <laughs> Is that... Um, now I have to look. Do you think that's Michael Martinez's final majorly played appearance?
0: It might be. Um, I mean, he was never much of a hitter. He was always just like... The, you know, the super utility guy, like classic, classic super utility guy. Um, he got into
2: a couple of games the next year. So
0: no, my, my memory of that game is I was not, at the, I was not at that game. I was um, at home working from home, you know, like kind of managing, you know, uh, some of our content for that game remotely. And I remember whatever I do, you, I don't remember what, what's, we used to use this, this chat software before Slack. I forget what it was hip, called. Hip chat. Hip chat. We used to hip chat. I remember we were in like a hip chat room and, it was, like, you and Jason Bernard, who's one of our other um, uh, StatCast engineers, were in the room. We're in this room. And I remember, because I was watching on TV, we were delayed. We were a few seconds behind. And I just remember both of you being, like, holy <laughs> bleep. Like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so, like, I knew that, like, I was, like, I was, like, is Roger Davis about to hit a home run? <laughs> like, Sorry to but, spoil the moment. And I was, like, no way. And then it, was like, it was still just as shocking. You know, it was, like, it was um uh, it was uh, it didn't actually ruin the moment for me. Um I think that actually the 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 shot of LeBron freaking out in the in like the box. Yes. Like that yes. The, the luxury suite after that home run is one of the, the coolest moments in recent baseball history. And like at that moment maybe want the Indians to win really badly. Um so I was kinda of disappointed when they didn't
2: um i i did want to relay a a quick playoff story and i didn't ask you to come up with one of these because i didn't think it was a a reasonable thing for someone to have but if you do have a story like this feel free to kick it in um i wanted to relay the time that i snuck into a playoff game because i think it's pretty funny i went to college at at boston university and my first year there was or i moved up there was september of 1999 and you know the red sox were pretty good that year and you know you have like the freshman year struggles that three or four weeks. I you know I hadn't made a ton of friends yet, but they were playing against Cleveland in the uh, American league division series. So I knew that I was not going to go to those games, obviously, but I also knew that the Fenway area would be hopping and my dorm was on Beacon street. So I was like a three and a half minute walk away. So I walk over uh, for game four, which let's see, Boston was down two to one, right? So this is a best of five. And I just kind of hang around and, um, The Red Sox put up, let's see, seven, 10 runs in the first three innings, 15 runs in the first four innings, uh, 18 runs in the first five innings, and people start to leave. And um, what I realized, and you can't do this anymore because they've they've renovated this area. If you were a person who is not exactly uh, large, like myself, there was a way you could kind of wedge yourself into the gate without anybody noticing, which I did. I think that might have been the first time I ever actually went to Fenway, was spending the last five innings. Of this playoff game, that would be a 23-7 win, uh, just wandering around and looking at the park and feeling the atmosphere, which was cool. But here's a trivia question for you, Matt. Who started that game for Cleveland, lasted one inning, and gave up seven runs? I, I'll give you a hint. He has pitched a lot more recently than you'd think for someone who was in 1999. Um... Who is Twitter's just favorite baseball human?
0: I give up. You're going to be so mad that you didn't come up with Bartolo. Bartolo, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is wild. Um, I I did not I did not sneak into a playoff game, but the first playoff game I ever attended as actually has a bit of baseball trivia attached to it was Game Five of the 1988 NLCS, Mets Dodgers. Do you know why that game is notable?
2: Is this Danny Heap?
0: No, this is um, is this is this Jay Howell and the pine tar. No, that, I think that was Game Three or Game Four. That that was the day before. This was when Kirk Gibson injured his hamstring while stealing second base. Oh, so basically. Oh, oh. Um, so this basically was he re-injured his knee that set up the game one, uh, the game one heroics in the World Series. That is
2: uh, That's actually, uh, if if I could pick like you know five or six baseball errors to go back to and see a game like '88 Dodgers Mets would probably be. <laughs>
0: Pretty high on that list. Like I mean, that that was, a, that was an, uh, a pretty epic series. A lot of like, uh, um, just a lot of subplots. Uh, what was the weirdest game you ever went to in person? Um, I actually sort of have two answers. The first one will be brief. Uh, it was actually because it's related to Fenway Park and Carl Everett. I was at the game in, I think it was 2000, when Carl Everett playing for the Red Sox um, got called out for being out of the batter's box and headbutted the ump. Yes. I remember um, <laughs> watching that live on what was then Socks on Fox 25. <laughs> so that game that game was kind of wild, but my actual answer is May 14th, 1994, um, Braves at Mets. Um, this game was wild for a variety of reasons. Um, the first reason it was weird is that Ryan Thompson, uh, probably most famous for being part of the um, David Cohn to Toronto trade, the Mets traded David Cohn to Toronto and the pieces they got back were Ryan Thompson, who was sort of, like, at the time, if I recall, the centerpiece, and Jeff Kent was, like, the throw-in. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ryan Thompson had a grand slam of John Smoltz, who subsequently beamed John Cangellosi <laughs> 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 with the next pitch, and a, just a huge brawl ensued, which was, like, just totally – I mean, I'd never seen a brawl before or since, so it was um, – it was pretty freaking cool to watch a brawl in person. as was like a 14 year old. Um, and then what was crazy about it was that it, for some reason, there was like a, a, a bunch of fights in baseball that year. So the next week, the cover of sports illustrated was a picture of Charlie O'Brien, the Braves catcher, punching John Cangelosi in the head with, with a uh, Terry Pendleton in the background. And the, the cover line is enough already. Another round of ugly brawls gives baseball <laughs> and basketball a black eye. I remember that. <laughs> Um that game was also memorable because the Mets ended up blowing them out. Um uh that game was most memorable is that in the third inning, Ryan Klesko made errors on consecutive plays in left field. He dropped the fly ball to extend the inning, and then on the next batter, there was an RBI single hit to him and he overzid the catcher um and made a throwing error. Um and if I recall correctly, and I I, I can't say this with certainty, he also misplayed a fly ball that could have been later in the game that could have been scored an error. Um, but it was just, it, you know, it was, he lost in the sun. So very close to a three-year game, which is very tough for an outfielder to do. And then in the eighth inning, Ryan Clisco hit a absolutely massive home run down the left field line. I mentioned this because on our last show on Monday, we talked about Matt Williams. And I said how some of our younger, younger listeners might not know who Matt Williams is. And I saw at least one person on Twitter be like, I'm a huge baseball fan and I have no idea who Matt Williams is. <laughs> I, I gotta to say, to say like, Even if you don't know him for being a great third baseman, he was a manager like
2: five years ago.
0: <laughs> I was going to say that, but I was going to say for you younger listeners out there is that Ryan Klesko hit some pretty majestic home runs and also was like one of the like, like early, early, like early bat flip, like someone who bat flip a lot. Um, so he was like, to me, he was one of the guys who kind of like made uh, made bat flips, bat flips cool again, in in my opinion. Um, my That's a great one, by
2: the way. My weirdest ever game, I'm, I'm very pleased with this answer. June 27th, 2003, Florida Marlins at Boston Red Sox. And this game was hilarious because Johnny Damon, who was leading off for the Red Sox, got a double, a single, and a triple all in the first inning. <laughs> as as the Red Sox put up 14 in the first inning on their way to a 25-8 to eight win. Um, I found this article, it's, it's four or five years old, so I guess I don't know if anything's changed since then, but at the time, Johnny Damon was just the second player uh, since 1900 to get three hits in the same inning behind uh, Gene Stevens, who had done so in 1953 for the Red Sox. The first inning against Carl Pavano, at least it started against Carl Pavano, went like this. Double single, double home run, double single, Pavano gets yanked. Single, walk, single, triple, single, the other guy gets yanked. Finally, now no Garcia-Para, who is uh, batting third. The second time he's up, that's the first out of the inning. <laughs> so, The first two Marlins pitchers, Pavano, uh, faced six batters, zero outs, gave up six earned runs. Uh, followed by Michael Tejera, who faced five batters, zero outs five earned runs. (laughs) And then it just, it just went on from there. The final score was 25 to eight. Uh, Johnny Damon ended up with five hits uh, in seven plate appearances. And my, my favorite part, I think um, is that this just feels like a a million years ago, a 25 to eight game where you need three pitchers to get a single out and not a single position player pitched in this game. They used entirely pitchers. Uh, And there's some names here, right? Like, you know, Young Young Kim started for the Red Sox, and Blaine Neal came in for the Marlins. And I feel like, I know there would be new rules for the upcoming season and everything, but if this had happened last year, you would have seen like seven different position players coming in as early as like the third inning.
0: <laughs> Did you also know that this was like uh, Miguel Cabrera's seventh career game?
2: Uh, I Yeah, he was playing left field and hitting seventh.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen some two other comments on this game. You've seen some real slugfests at Fenway Park. And the second thing is, and also the Marlins won the world series that year. That exactly right. I was going to say that.
2: And then they ended up winning the world series last year. I was going to say, you know, just looking at this Marlins lineup, um, I know Mike Lowell a little bit, not super well, but we've done like MLB network shows together and he was hitting cleanup for the Marlins that day. So the next time I see him, I've got to ask him to tell me everything about this game. Although they got crushed. So maybe he doesn't actually, um, uh, Want to know about it? Before we bring in your your pal Teddy to tell me all about your baseball heroics, I'm going to tell you about the best game I ever played in. Um, this is not going to be when I turned an unassisted triple play in softball because that's cool, but this is this is better. When I was, let's see, how old would I have been for the story? 13, maybe 14, something like that. Um, so I'd been a, a middle infielder all my life, and that year they they asked me to pitch, and it I'd never pitched before. It took me like half the season to feel like any sort of comfort. Uh, and I could, you know, I never had like a, a terribly strong arm, but by the end of the year, I could throw strikes. And at that age, that's really what you need to do is just not walk everybody. So we get more confident and more confident as the season goes on. We get into the playoffs. Um, and I forget how the playoffs worked. It was only like a game or two. But basically, the coach says to me, he's like, okay, my God, I, I'm not going to start you in this first game of the playoffs because I, I feel, feel really confident. And I want you on the mound for the championship game. And I'm you know, feeling like I'm nine feet tall. And I'm like, this is going to be great. We're going to win. I'm going to go out and I'm going to throw a perfect game. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and I should also point out, he'd said that I would be the, the closer if necessary for the first game. Well, unfortunately, it rains that day. That game gets pushed back. Rules at the time stated that you could not pitch on back-to-back days. So if I pitch in the first game, I am ineligible for the second game. Um, so it's fine. We go into the bottom of the probably not ninth, but seventh or whatever it really was. And we're up by like seven runs. Everything's fine. Our pitcher's doing really well. And this kid, who Bobby, I think his name was, just completely loses it. Walk, 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 walk. Basically, he's walked in six runs and the bases are loaded now. And now we're up by one run. <laughs> and the manager comes out and he's like, Mike, I got to bring you in. And I knew that meant I wouldn't be able to pitch the next day and I'd probably never pitch again. And I got so upset about it. Uh, and you know, totally immature on my part, obviously, but I came in, and here's here's the part I think was cool. So I'm super mad. Uh, we're about to lose a game. Strike out the batter on three pitches, right? Everybody should be happy. I'm so upset. I lead off the next inning. I either walk or single or whatever I get on base, uh, and I steal second and third and score the winning run on a pass ball. And that right there was the peak of my baseball career. <laughs> and post postscript to this, our number three pitcher. Who had really should not have been pitching at all. He pitched the next day in the championship, and he was awesome, and we won. <laughs> uh,
0: well, there are actually a fair amount of parallels with that story to the story that um, that we're about to tell, and uh, I, I'm going to bring in my old friend uh, Teddy Wayne to help us tell it. It is my pleasure to welcome in uh, my former uh, uh, Little League teammate uh, Teddy Wayne to, to help help me tell the tell the tale. Uh, of our epic uh, Little League. Uh, well, I don't want to give away the. I don't want to give away the ending just yet. Uh, but uh, Teddy Wayne is actually uh, is an author. Uh, he has a new uh, novel out called Apartment. Um, it is his fourth novel. He's previously written The Love Song of Johnny Valentine, um, Loner, and Capitoil. I'll admit Capitoil is the only one of the four that I've read, but it was fantastic, and I highly recommend it. He is also a regular contributor to the New York Times, The New Yorker, and McSweeney's, and he's currently adapting loner and the love song of johnny valentine into a series for hbo and mgm television teddy thank you for joining us
3: thanks for having me
0: uh it is definitely uh as you know mike and i've been trying to provide a distraction um for our listeners in this turbulent time and there's no uh greater distraction than talking about um baseball nonsense, um, So, and this Little League story is definitely a little bit of nonsense. So I'll set the scene and, and tell you, please uh, fill, in, fill in some gaps around it. The year is 1990. Um, we were playing in the South Riverdale Baseball League. Riverdale is an area of the Bronx, but people are from Riverdale say they're from Riverdale. They typically don't say they're from the Bronx. Um, you get the idea. Um, my father was the coach, um, and uh, Teddy and I, were we actually went to the same school, um, uh, but he was a year ahead of me, so we were never classmates. And if I recall correctly, Teddy, the regular season, our team was kind of average, but like the way they set it up, they actually set it up like very rigidly, like AL and NL and NL West, like in, in the divisions. And so we were in like the NL West or the Reds. And right, I
3: think we were we, in fact exact. I think I feel like we finished 5 and 5 yet snug into the
0: playoffs despite that because of the weak division we were in. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that is, that matches my memory exactly. Yeah. Um and then we went to the NLCS um and we beat the Mets. I think one I think one nothing uh if I recall correctly. I think um, you're right actually, it, Yeah. It was a, a barn burner. Um and uh uh, that was kind of an upset in its own right. I think the Mets had, had beaten us pretty soundly twice during the season. Um, they had this this um, pitcher Brett Donovan, who was kind of like the he was like the the guy in the league. He was a lefty, threw hard, really good control. He was kind of the your classic little league ace. Um, but uh, we managed to scratch scratch a run on against him and uh, went to the went to the World Series. And the thing that was crazy to me was that I I don't know why the league did it this way, but they just they would have the the World Series in September. So we played the little league in, um, you know, April, May, June, and then we basically took two months off and then we had a three game series. Like when we got back from camp or whatever anyone did for the summer, um, did that strike you as, as odd at the time, Teddy?
3: I don't remember that. I believe you. Um, it allowed you to rest your arm clearly <laughs> <laughs> two month layoff. No, I don't, I don't recall that. Um, but now that you say it, it sort of makes a little, it rings a, a distant bell.
0: Um, so we, we came back and we were going to play the, the Royals and the Royals, you know, and every year in the league, there's like the stacked team. Um, and they like, you know, the thing is they were in the American league. And I think that what we didn't realize at the time is that there was just a real imbalance with the talent in the league. I think that probably like for whatever reason, most of the better players were in the american league so it made the royals look a lot better than they actually were because we didn't have, even though there's literally they were like nope no interleague play this was like very strict so we never the american league teams never played the national league teams and the american league teams and the royals would win every game like 15 to 2 and we we went to play them in the in the this best of three championship but
3: sorry to interrupt you remember why they were the best do you
0: um, no, but I, a vague recollection, but I'll let you, t- I'll let you tell him.
3: The commissioner's son was on their, was on their team oh, and he gave like his son and he, I hate to, he'll never remember this or, or hear this, but the commissioner's son was, as I recall, not that great a player, but he, his dad enabled, rigged the, the draft so that such that he would get all the best players on his team so that he would win the world series.
0: This, this does sound familiar. So yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the fix was kind of in as it, uh. Mm-hmm. Or, or or they tried to make it in, and so we come back. We're playing them, um, and we we're kind of a ragtag bunch. As Teddy said, we were five and five. I, we are, you know, we just we were not. We were not. Didn't seem especially especially good. Um, Teddy was our regular second baseman, and I was our starting pitcher. But the way it was set up was that you couldn't pitch more than three innings in a game, so you kind of had to. Um, you had to sort of balance that out. So my, as I said, my dad was a coach, and we had another pitcher um this kid tommy Levy, i think was one of your classmates and tommy was kind of like i was kind of like the aj burnett like i could throw hard but my i was erratic but like when i was on i was really good but it was just you never really knew what was going to happen whereas tommy was kind of like your kyle hendricks where he was just like strike after strike after strike after strike so usually what we'd set it up was like i'd face the top of the lineup and then uh, tommy would face the bottom of the lineup and i think teddy you were our third pitcher but you only pitched a couple times during the course of the year
3: I I don't remember if that's I, I believe you again. Uh, I was never a very good pitcher, so if I did, it was probably either mop up duty or you know blowout on e- on either side.
0: Um, so I'm going to cut to the chase. We win game one kind of miraculously, and for anyone who was paying attention to South Riverdale baseball in 1990, um, this was a big deal. <laughs> people <laughs> people around the around the around town, they were you know they were sort of chatting. They were like, "What's what's going on here?" um game two uh the royals won so it goes it comes down to game three and we're playing a great game uh i pitched two of the first five innings and did not allow a run and tommy levy was uh, at his best did not allow any runs so it was set up for me to close out the game we're up two nothing um we're going into the sixth inning bottom of the sixth and i am really nervous um I, i can't i can't even even now right now i'm getting nervous just thinking about that moment Um, I was a super competitive kid. Um, I wanted this more than anything I'd ever wanted in my life to that point was to to win this game in that moment. So I'm on the mound. I walk the first batter. It's okay. You know, we have a little bit of a cushion. I can get over it. I walk the second batter. Now, the other, uh, you know, people complain about the three batter rule in baseball and other rules that MLB has put in. Well, SRBL had a very interesting rule for the minor league level. We were in the quote unquote minors which was called the 10 ball rule. Now the 10 ball rule was if you walked two batters in a row, every subsequent batter would get 10 balls until you stopped walking guys. So it was basically like to try and encourage you to throw strikes and not let walks take over the game. Um, I'm not sure it was the most well thought out rule, but it was a very well intentioned rule. Um, of course, uh, I was just, I'd lost it mentally. I was just, was not there. So the next kid, um, I walked him on, on 10 balls. So now the bases, bases are loaded.
2: <laughs> this, is, this story is giving me anxiety. I have
0: nothing to do with this.
2: <laughs> but you probably weren't, I
3: don't remember. I, I doubt you were throwing it. You know, I doubt you got a case of the yips. You're probably
0: missing, but not just throwing it everywhere, right? I honestly can't remember. I just don't think I was. I think maybe like I threw once for the first three batters, you know, it was. It was you know 18 balls and maybe two strikes. Um, and at this point, the Royals are in my head. They're like up at the edge of their of, the end of their bench, just like screaming at me. And I'm just like, I'm a basket case. And you know, my dad's the coach. And as he's told told me subsequently, he was like, in that moment, he was like, you know, Teddy had only was the only other kid in our team who pitched. He's like, I can't bring in Teddy right now. He's pitched all year. It's just like not fair to him. So he basically was like, you know, you know, sorry, Matt, <laughs> this is your game to lose. Um, and like, I'm, I'm literally in tears on the mound. I'm so upset because I can feel myself blowing this game. Um, so the next guy comes up again, I've got 10 balls to work with. I walked him on 10 balls. So now the, any edge, any, any cushion we had is gone. It's now two to one. The bases are loaded. There are zero outs and I've just walked two straight batters, four straight batters, the last two on 10 balls. Um, so, uh, it's been 28 balls and about four strikes. So things are not looking good for the, for the, for the reds, for the Broadway car wash reds at this moment. Um, and, um, I don't really know how it happened. Um, I'm not a religious person, but, uh, maybe it was divine intervention because like, I somehow regained some semblance of composure in that moment. And I was able to throw the next kid a couple strikes and, I recall, I think it was a check swing. He was one of the, it was a sort of towards the bottom. He was like a, not a great hitter, but he was like a light hitter, light, light hitting hitter who could make contact. It was either a check swing or just like a little like chopper in front of the mound. And I just like grabbed it and stepped on home plate um, and got one out. So um, it is now 2-1, one, one out. Bases are still loaded. But now because this kid has put the ball in play, the 10 balls are off, so I'm back to four balls. And here's where it gets interesting. Um, the next batter, if I recall correctly, and Teddy, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he swung at the first pitch. Um, it was, I, I definitely remember it was Jeff Kornstein. Jeff Kornstein and I ended up going to high school together. Um, and definitely remember it was Jeff Kornstein, uh, who was a very good athlete in Riverdale. Um, if, if you're listening and you were a member of uh, Riverdale sports in this time, you, you'd remember Jeff. And he hits a screaming low line drive right at second base, right at Teddy. And Teddy feels it cleanly. However, it is unclear if Teddy has short hopped it or if he has caught it cleanly. And everyone is just screaming. It's like a little, like just everyone is screaming. Like no one knows what's going on. Everyone, the kids are all just running. The kids just took off on contact because the ball was hit really hard and everyone's like score it, it home throw it home throw it first throw it first and teddy who's uh as you can you can probably just tell from his his voice is just a composed composed individual calmly runs to first base and steps on first base and everyone starts screaming and screaming and teddy throws it home and it goes wild and two runs score and the royals start going crazy the royals think they've won i like dropped the mound and to my knees and I'm like in tears because I've just like blown the game. And in that moment, the second base, um, because this was the world series, we actually had two umpires on home plate and the second base umpire runs in. He's like, no, 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 no. Second baseman caught the ball. It's a double play. The Reds win the championship. <laughs> Teddy, how'd I do?
3: So you had one, one dugout. You got it all right. Um, you had one dugout full of 11-year-old boys screaming that they'd won. Then the other one screaming that they'd won. The reason I ran to first and didn't throw it, the first baseman, who was Tommy at that point, had abandoned it thinking we'd lost. So he started walking off the field. So I had to run it over myself. And then I only threw home because everyone was telling me to throw it home, though I knew I shouldn't technically have to. And thankfully, we had that second base umpire for the World Series. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been
0: overturned. It, I, I just like, I can even in my mind, I can remember just like parents screaming, and then like the coach, the other team being like almost like angry at us that like we had ended up winning, and it was just like so kind of like they were so bitter, and we were so happy. And to be honest, with you to this day, I'm still not sure if you actually caught the ball, but it doesn't even matter because it.
3: I I I, I absolutely caught it. I'll go on the record now saying I caught it. Uh, I'll go to my grave saying that. Uh, but yes, I think I'm the only one who knows for sure if I caught it or
2: not. Wait, I want to hear more about the opposing coach because I'm just envisioning this guy completely losing his mind on the umpire. Like, I feel like if this had happened today, someone would be videotaping it and that guy would have gone viral uh, just for, for being insane. Is that an accurate depiction?
3: Well, without saying his name or anything, I will say that when he was shaking hands, when we did the, the, the post game, good game, good game, handshake line. He, I think, said to your dad, Matt. Correct me if I'm wrong, that he said to him, "Teddy didn't catch the ball. We we
0: won the game." <laughs> that sounds that sounds about right. It was it was a, it was a very it was a very tense tense moment. I mean, I think that like I was like Teddy. I think you saved me from like decades of therapy of trauma. <laughs> like,
3: <thing>. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, as did your dad. But if if your dad had taken you out, you would have gone. You would have left your baseball career thinking you'd just screwed it up instead of having this arc of redemption.
0: It was, um, it definitely, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's almost hard to fathom the alternate reality. If, if we had not, if we had not won that game, it makes me think of that, you know, the movie parenthood when the guy like, you know, he has like the alternate reality where he um, makes the error at second base. And then he has the, the Steve Martin has the dream where it's like his his son's like, has a gun at the top of like the watchtower. And it's like, you made me play second base. It's like it's, like, that's like, how I feel like my life would have been different if we had uh, we had we had blown that game.
2: Can, can I assume that you both have the trophies you received and they are in places of honor uh, above your fireplaces or whatever?
3: I think mine's in my parents' home. Yeah,
0: yeah, my, it's still in my mom's apartment. Although, like, I have all my like trophies from little League years in like one closet over the years. She's like maybe get rid of everything, but the trophies have still kind of like lingered. And like every time I go over there, she's like. When are you going to get rid of the trophies? It's like I don't really want to have to take them anywhere, but I kind of want to know that they still exist.
2: Well, if if and when we ever get to go back to work, I would like to see it on your your desk for now.
0: <laughs> this actually <laughs> might be this might be a good uh, a good uh, a good pivot for it to bring it to bring it <laughs> out to the it's like and give can be more of an excuse to tell the uh, tell the tell the story. Teddy, is there anything else from that season or that 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 team or that game that that you think that I left out or that maybe that I misrepresented?
3: I do. I feel like we lost several of our first games and had a, a kind of classic bad news bear style, major league style, um, like comeback during the season, and just again squeaked into the playoffs. It was really. It's hard to overstate the David versus Goliath uh, implications of of the matchup we had. We were just a, a, a middling team at best, and they were completely
0: stacked. And, like, and that's the thing in Little League. It's, like, you always – basically, it's, like, usually a fait accompli. Like, before you start, like, okay, you know which team's better. That team's going to win. So the fact that, like, not only we beat them once, but we beat them two out of three times was really yeah, kind yeah. of um, <laughs> really kind of surprising. But as I said, I, I think a big factor was the fact that, like, the, the two leagues were separate and so that we actually had no idea that maybe the coaches just did a really good job of, of dispersing the talent in the two leagues. And maybe it was just, that like, yes, they were stacked, but they also, like, played only really bad teams.
3: And also baseball as as you guys know is the sport where the superior team has the best chance of losing to the inferior team of all the major sports. So it holds true for Little League too, I guess. Uh and that, you know, I'm sure they were undefeated during the regular season or close to it. And yet they could still lose to a 500 team.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they hadn't they hadn't they had not uh they had not lost um, until that point. So anyway, that's that's the legendary story. I hope I didn't oversell it too much, but uh, I think that the ten ball rule is really usually what gets people uh, usually gets gets the buy-in um, from from people. Teddy, before before we let you go and finish this uh, this podcast, you know, earlier in the in the in the podcast, Mike and I were talking about our favorite game, first games we ever attended, favorite games we ever, are are attended. Teddy, what would you say? Um, is the best game, best major league, not to put you on the spot too much. What is is the best major league game that you've ever attended? Uh,
3: in recent memory, at least I went, I was at the Wilmer Flores home run game, uh, the game which two days after he thought he'd been traded and cried on field, he hit a, a walk-off 12th inning home run. And I went with two friends whom I see usually one Mets game per year uh, with and Every, it seems like every time we go, it, it goes into extra innings, and we always have to debate, is it worth staying? And for some reason, that game, we were like, let's just keep staying. We kept saying in each inning. And the 12th inning, we were like, you know, let's this will be the last inning. And I think Flores maybe led off the inning. I can't remember. Maybe it was the second batter. He yeah, he okay. led off
2: the inning. It was the third pitch.
3: So not only were we happy that the Mets won, and of course the – the hugely dramatic moment that Flores, after being after thinking he was traded, he hit a walk-off, but we were just so grateful that we, you know, the inning we were about to leave in, he finally concluded the game too. So uh, all around a memorable game. Um, and, you know, a, it's rare that you see athletes expressing emotion so openly like that, the way he did, at least not not only for a loss, but for being traded. It almost feels like something you'd expect out of like a, a much younger player, not in the majors. Um, so it was this strong, you know, powerful moment, I think, for a lot of sports fans, especially Mets fans. And to see him hit a home run was was wonderful.
0: There's, we actually have a, a story um, coming up on the, a little teaser alert, a story that Anthony Kastrovitz did about that whole that whole week. He did kind of like a, an oral history where he talked to um, all the um, the players involved and the and the, and the GMs involved and in sort of like the trade that that wasn't. And it's kind of fascinating, in the way that that is that it's sort of like the impetus for the story, that, that the way that uh, Anthony kind of envisioned it, envisioned it is that like how much that like you know it's unknown whether or not Wilmer Flores crying is actually the reason the Mets makes the trade, or whether it's because of it a medical that that Carlos Gomez that they didn't like. It's, it was all kind of very vague, but that trade falling apart like changed the course of baseball history in significant ways. First of all, it leads to the Mets getting Cespedes and winning the pennant. That's kind of, okay, kind of a big deal. They didn't win the World Series, but still kind of a big deal. It leads to, and then, because two days later, after not trading Gomez to the Mets, the Brewers traded Gomez to the Astros. And as part of that trade, they, they got Josh Hader back from the Astros. So, that, okay, they acquired now, like, one of the most dominant relievers, in, like, literally in baseball history, as a result of that trade falling through. And in addition, the one of the other players that went to the Astros in that Gomez trade was Mike Fires who ended up blowing up the sign stealing scandal? <laughs> you know, so, what I
2: just realized we've we've talked about that trade like seven different times, and all of those times were before the sign stealing scandal. So now there's yet another reason to bring this trade back.
0: So it's a uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of wild, and, and you know, Teddy, I, I know the um, the season's obviously on hold right now, but. Uh, uh, Sounds like you're you're a Mets fan. What is your overall kind of take on where things stand? Were you ex- were you excited for the season until I
3: was. You know, I, I I tend not to follow it too closely until right about when the season starts. Um, but it felt like they had a good chance this year. From every projections I saw, a lot of people were picking them as the NLE's favorites. Uh am I I'm right in thinking that, right? It's not just a wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, they actually I mean
0: it's it's like the thing is like for the, the Mets, it's like well, that the Mets of something's going to go wrong, but they actually have a really good major league roster. So,
3: I mean, you have to you have to factor in like three freak in, injuries within the first week, and that's sort of part of the course. And then like something with their conditioning halfway through. But that aside, I was excited. Um, they're young their their young core is really fun to watch. Um, it was the most excited I've been since you know obviously 2015, but really since the 2006 era. Uh, right and Reyes and, and that ilk. Um, and I feel like this with DeGrom, Guard, hopefully getting back on his game um, and and their young sluggers, they they have a shot and obviously I hope the season resumes for many other reasons. But it, it would feel a shame right now for the Mets to lose out on this. Their young uh, squad uh, will not have a chance to improve on the field
0: the same way. All right. One last question before I let you go is that You know, Mike and I, the last couple of episodes have been mostly about like reminiscing the last episode. We kind of just pulled some random baseball cards. Do you have like a favorite random Met of all time? Like, can you remember a guy right now for us? A random, not not like an obvious one you mean. Yeah, just like a random. It was like, who's like your personal favorite?
3: You know, I I often watch just to feel good YouTube clips of the game six um, inning, 10th inning. And a guy I always like on that, in that video is Kevin Mitchell.
2: Yes. <laughs> who you
3: don't associate with the Mets quite as much because he had his heyday with the Giants afterward. But uh, he just felt like a, a player that was obviously clearly very good and got a lot better as soon as he left the Mets, which is par for the course. But um, there's, something, there's something reassuring about him in that video. But you know, mid to late 80s Mets is my, is my deep fandom. Uh, Howard Johnson, Lenny Dykstra – Uh, I hold a soft spot much later on for Andy Chavez because of the catch. Um, but there are probably a few other, if I could think of it, probably a few other more obscure players who did something for me at some point in my life. I will say
2: one thing uh, about Kevin Mitchell there. Um, obviously losing him and trading him was not great, but do you know who they got back for him as part of that deal? Kevin Reynolds, who ended up pretty big part of those Mets teams.
0: He was just, he was one of those players who was really good, but just like never, like the fans just never, because he was so like, so joyless that just like, he was like, just like the model of efficiency, but just no one ever took to him because it was just like, you no, know, he was kind of the JD Drew of his day. Like one of those guys where if you look at his baseball card now, you're like, wow, this guy was really good, but it just like, it didn't matter because like no one had any affinity for him.
3: His name is also as, as bland as it gets for a baseball player. Kevin McReynolds sounds like a made up name <laughs> for a baseball player.
0: All right, Teddy, we will thank let you, you go. Teddy. I think we'll probably put an end to this nonsense.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you guys Thanks so much.
2: I think we'll actually a
3: lot We'll of fun. do that
2: all at once. We don't even have to let you go. Uh, thank you, Teddy. Wait, this is our, our show for this week. Um, we'll be back in a couple more days with some more insanity. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I've actually had a lot of fun doing the show like this, and I'm looking forward to what other kind of craziness we can come up with. So thank you for listening. This is the MOB.com Stackcast Podcast.